electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. And a hot reading on inflation, plus the tanking in consumer sentiment and the increase in inflation expectations, it's all taking the market down today. The Dow's down 805 points. We're just off session lows. The Dow's also down 5.5% this week for the worst week since January. It's also down for the 10th time in 11 weeks, which hasn't happened since the Great Depression. Great. The Nasdaq, meanwhile, the hardest hit today as interest rates spike to the upside. Currently, the Nasdaq down about 400 points. Amazon's down around 5%. It's the third one on your chart there. It's off 10% just this week. And it wasn't just inflation that was bad this morning. That consumer sentiment reading at a record low is hitting the consumer discretionary stocks. Names like Booking Holdings, eBay, and Chipotle are among the hardest hit. Our Bob Bassani and Rick Santelli are standing by with more on these markets. Bob, let's begin with you. Well, so much for uh, the peak inflation narrative. That's that's the problem. There was a lot of hopium out there, and it's being dissipated today. I just want to show you the S&P 500, because what's happening today, there's a lot of round trips, a lot of head and shoulder chart patterns, and that's kind of what the S&P looks like here. So remember, we had a brief 10% rally on hopes, maybe peak inflation, uh, and now we're back to the key level, that 3,900. That was the May 19th low. Uh, that we had, the closing low. So we've gone essentially round trip. We're only a few points above that. A lot of uh, sectors have gone round trip. So uh, transports, for example, at a new 52-week low. Uh, the, the financials are at 52-week low. REITs at a 52-week low. Companies, uh, you know, uh, 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 Bornado, for example, or Simon Property, same situation, head and shoulders there. Uh, mega cap tech, not quite for most of them, although uh, Intel's at a new low, Micron's at a new low. Apple's old low is 137.35. You see, we're just barely above that. Uh, NVIDIA's leading the semiconductors down about 5% on the day. Uh, travel and leisure, as uh, you heard there from Kelly, that consumer sentiment number certainly didn't help a lot. Of course, we may have peak travel this summer, uh, but bookings, uh, Expedia, as you see here, uh, all down. Uh, Visa also uh, hurting the Dow at this point. Uh, another group that's interesting down is asset managers. It's not just maybe slow down in travel, but if you get a downturn in the economy, you may get less trading as well. So we're having a down day in big names like BlackRock, uh, T. Rowe Price, and Franklin Resources. So where are we? Uh, there's a lot of no's out there. There was hopefully a lot of yeses, and now there's a no's, essentially. So are we at peak inflation? No, doesn't seem that way. Is the Fed going to pause in September? Uh, no, doesn't seem that way right now. How about a soft landing? I'm being generous here and saying uh, less likely. A lot of people would say no at this point. Uh, how about abroad? What's going on? That China lockdown was a big thing. That's been very fluid. We had new lockdowns occurring. So that's not really a yes. And that Russia-Ukraine war, no change there, no yes on that. So a lot of no's here. And I guess, Kelly, the problem here is that the main narrative uh, is the opposite of what we are were hoping for a week or so ago, that the Fed now, the main narrative is the Fed is likely going to make a policy mistake and possibly 
have to throw the economy into a recession, which is obviously not a desirable outcome. No, Back perfectly said, Bob. I think the change, why it's you know, had such a big impact today, that, that trio of reports. Uh, Bob Bassani, for now, thanks. Let's turn to Rick Santelli. Uh, that reprieve in rates that we saw in late May that helped spur the rebound in stocks, that looks to be over. The 10-year Treasury yield, not only back above 3%, it's now about above 315 today. It's the green number there on the top right-hand side of your screen. Rick Santelli has the latest, Rick, on, you know, what Bob just said and where rates could go from here. Yeah, you know, when it comes to rates, no doubt about it, uh, we saw it hot, hot, hot CPI. We saw it very, very cold Michigan and very hot one and five to 10 year inflation rates on Michigan. The pits on by, SPX and VIX, well, it's another dimension to what's going on. The VIX right now is up 270 points. Its highs of the day were just a whisker shy of 30. As you look at this intraday chart of the VIX, Kelly, uh, cognizant of rates moving up, equities moving down, the SPX is down well over 110 points. What jumps out at you is, is that we haven't been at these intraday highs since the 25th, but we haven't closed over 30 in the VIX since May 18th, as you see on this chart. And why is this so important? Because we've switched gears. There was some bottom fishing going on on the call side, but when it comes to the put side, which is the right but not the obligation to be short the market at some future date and time, at some future price, well, that's what everybody's grabbing. That's what's pushing volatility up is the race to use the puts or maybe sell calls if you're not thinking the market's going to go up. And that really is the dynamic here. And it feeds on itself back and forth. So we want to continue not only to monitor inflation, but how the psyche of investors is affected with regard to what they think is coming around the next corner. Kelly, back to you. Thank you very much, Rick Santelli. Well, if you thought that the, uh, the CPI was bad today, my next guest says inflation still hasn't peaked. That's what the market sees happening now, that we could see 9% readings in August and September. Meanwhile, we've had a couple of people now calling for a 75 basis point rate hike by the Fed next week. Annette Markowska at Jeffries thinks she, the Fed will start hiking by that much. Beginning at the meeting next week, Barclays making a similar call this morning as well. Joining us now is Michael Schumacher. He's Wells Fargo's head of macro strategy. Michael, thanks. And for those who say, why did so much just change with this report, what would your answer be? Yeah, it's interesting, Kelly. The Fed was hoping for a much more moderate report, and this one's just bad across the board. So goods inflation's up quite a bit. A lot of people thought, hey, maybe that would moderate after people focus more on services, less on goods. The headline number is terrible. I think we all knew about energy, but still, if you look the, below the surface of the report, it's just not very encouraging at all. So broad-based, high, bad for the Fed. And as you speak, we have the Dow at session lows, Michael. We, again, as Rick mentioned, 10-year uh, interest rate, about 3.15%. If the Fed switches to 75 basis point rate hikes next week, what's that going to I mean, we only have from now, Friday afternoon, until Wednesday to price that in. Is that what the market is pricing in right now? No, the market's not ready for 75. I think that would be a stunning move. Big risk-off move if that were to happen. I'd frankly be very surprised, and I think my colleagues at Wells would share this view, the Fed has really prepped the market pretty thoroughly for 50 next week. Now, perhaps Chair Powell comes out of the press conference and says, you know what, we just went 50. Inflation's not good. We're thinking about maybe going more aggressively in July and really to set the stage for conceivably 75 in July or more likely 50 
to lock in in September. That makes a lot more sense. But 75, just to throw it out there next week, I think it's too much too soon. It's interesting, though, to watch a couple of different Wall Street banks now basically saying the Fed has to do that. They're saying they have to and that they even think they will, which you and I institutionally would agree it seems like a long shot, right, for the Fed mm-hmm. to, to go to 75 in just a couple of days would seem almost absurdly impossible. And yet they're saying it should be considered a very real possibility. The only mechanisms left by which they could signal that kind of abrupt shift would be basically through a report in the Wall Street Journal. I mean, there's a quiet period, right? We can't hear from Fed officials themselves. That's right. And it would be, I'd say fishy would be generous if the Fed were to <laughs> leak a report to the Wall Street Journal or CNBC or anywhere else and say, hey, yeah, we really are thinking 75. We know it's the blackout period, but we don't necessarily adhere to that. I can't imagine the Fed doing something like that. The loss in credibility would be huge. Much better off from the Fed's perspective to, to do the 50 next week, talk about raising the dots and all that fun stuff, and again, to set the stage for maybe 75 later on, or more likely just to communicate to the market, this tightening is going to go on a while. Probably it means a number of rate hikes that are pretty significant, 50, give or take, throughout the year some 25s perhaps late in the year, but also going into next year. 75 next week doesn't seem to get the Fed a lot of benefit, and there's a lot of downside that comes with it. Let's talk about the inflation trajectory. Is the market, you think, looking for 9% headline reports now in August and September? And September was supposed to be the month that we were all talking about. Maybe they'd only hike by a quarter point, or maybe they'd take a pause. Is that out the window now? That's part of the problem here, Kelly, and Bob alluded to this, this idea of peak inflation doesn't really work anymore. So yes, the market is pricing nine plus out in September. And that's sort of depressing. And the clients I've been talking to for the last few weeks, for a lot of them, September has been that pivot point for Fed policy. Would the Fed actually pause or go 25 or at least be more market friendly in September? And now it seems a lot less likely. And that's perhaps the most discouraging thing about the report this morning. Although I guess if you know we were to put it differently, perhaps it's encouraging if it means they're response is going to be more hawkish than otherwise. I mean, if we were going to have an inflation problem that they didn't address because CPI came in slightly less than expected, but festered for a couple more years, maybe that would be worse than this that looks like a more obvious, hey, you got to do something. I agree with that. If this is a a true wake-up call, it's a good thing. There's a problem. Get after it. and Let's hit inflation over the head until it goes away. I think if you look at it from that perspective, you could say, all right, maybe it's not so bad after all. All right. Well, you know, we like to leave it there. A little little more hopeful note. Michael, thanks for all your time this afternoon. Thank you, Kelly. Michael Schumacher of Wells Fargo. So now it seemed like the perfect time to get defensive in the market. That's exactly what my next guest is recommending. Healthcare, staples, utilities, those sectors of the market have held up relatively better than the overall S&P 500. Joining me now is Emily Rowland. She's the co-chief investment strategist at John Hancock Investment Management. It's good to see you, Emily. It's not like there's a lot of places where you feel great being invested, but, you know, are these the, the safe havens? Yeah, we think so, Kelly. And, you know, we are facing a global economic slowdown, and that's not really being reflected in some areas of the market. We're seeing treasury yields here continuing to back up. And a global economic slowdown and ultimately a recession, which we're hearing a lot more about today after that really brutal CPI print, treasury yields go down. Uh, So we're looking today at this backup in treasury yields as potentially a, a solid entry point. Uh, as we move throughout the next number of of weeks and months here. Um, We also look at quality stocks, which are the baby that's been thrown out with the bathwater in our view. So there are companies with great balance sheets, good return on equity, solid margins, good earnings, 
that are now trading at discounts that we think are worth a look right now. Um, we also see really cyclical areas like international value stocks leading the way, which also doesn't really jive with a, with a uh, global uh, deceleration in, in growth here. So there are some opportunities amidst some of the carnage, but certainly getting more defensive and embracing the idea here that volatility is the new normal. Uh, that's really where we would be leaning right now. So when you put it all together, where do you think we are in the market? I mean, we could talk about sort of what stage of the cycle or we could just talk about whether it's a flat out bear market. And if so, how long that might endure? Yeah, so this cycle, both the market cycle and the economic cycle are aging rapidly. We're not used to cycles that move with this type of velocity. And really, of course, inflation being enemy number one that's causing this aggressive Fed tightening and really looking like it may bring the economy to, to the brink uh, in order to slow down inflation. So we haven't really seen, uh, you know, within equities, there may still be some room for some downside here. We haven't seen the economic data bottom yet. The leading economic indicators are still sitting at around 5% year-over-year growth. We would be looking for those to get closer to zero. The PMI data is still well above 50, which indicates that we're in expansionary territory. We haven't actually seen analysts revising down earnings estimates yet. Next 12-month earnings continue to move higher when we look at that. So there are a number of things that need to move lower, need to start to look like they're bottoming until we can start to feel more comfortable adding to risk in portfolios. This is not the time to do that. Yeah, it's kind of like we still have a nominal boom, but a real recession, uh, you know, a recession in real terms. Final comment. Um, you, oh, I don't know if we still have. Uh, well, we all know what that happens when the Zoom screen goes black. I was Emily Rowland. She's the co-chief investment strategist with John Hancock. Again, recommending Emily. I think you can see me now. Let's just give a parting comment yeah. um, on which parts of. I mean, are we talking dividend growers? Um, you know, would you be in technology, for instance? You know, what do you do with industrials and financials here? Yeah, so our favorite sectors, Kelly, right now, we still like technology. We like communication services. That's really where you're going to get those high-quality companies with those great balance sheets. We've seen the valuation reset there, good return on equity, low debt. That's what we want. But we also want to embrace those more defensive areas. We're upgrading our view on utilities. Uh, we're looking at companies that can play this idea of consumers moving away from the things that they want more towards the things that they need. And as energy and oil and, and food prices move higher, consumer discretionary is going to get hurt. People are still going to take a shower and turn their lights on, though. So areas like utilities offer some nice opportunities today in our view. All right. Emily, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Emily Rowland. Coming up, new numbers suggest work from home is slowing. What does it mean for the home improvement stocks and for housing? Plus, as investors pivot from growth to profitability, we're looking at the most profitable companies in the market that also have positive stock prices this year. This chart is one of them. We'll tell you whether it's a buy or a bail for our trader. And as we head to break, let's get a final check on markets into the uh, little interim here. Dow's down 820 points. S&P's down 114. NASDAQ down 414. The 10-year yield around 3.16. Stay with us. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM. 
a leading global asset manager. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back. The retail names are under pressure today after high inflation and tanking consumer sentiment reports. ETFs tracking the sector down two to three and a half percent. The only components of these in the green are the staples like supermarkets and groceries. And today, Bank of America is out with a new report showing that consumers are planning to tighten their spending in discretionary categories. That includes restaurants and travel, the reopening beneficiaries. Liz Suzuki put out the report. She is senior hardlines retail analyst at B of A Securities, and she joins us now. Liz, welcome. But maybe the biggest surprise is actually, you know, home spending holding up. Yeah, well, thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me back. And, you know, I've, I've presented this survey before, and it's always been really interesting to track throughout the pandemic how consumers' spending behavior or their spending plans have shifted. And so it's interesting to see that we did see a pullback in this latest run of data, which, you know, the survey ran for, for the first week of June, so very timely. And we saw that compared to March, there was a shift in how consumers plan to spend going forward, and that basically anything discretionary, furnishing, um, travel and restaurants too. We saw a pullback in consumers' intentions to spend. One area that was a bright spot though was home improvement, which is really interesting to track. It's been one of the strongest categories in retail. It was one of the strongest categories this earnings season as well. When we saw Home Depot beating and raising estimates, we saw Lowe's coming out with strong results as well relative to the rest of retail where we saw some other, you know, some signs of weakness. So I think that this is a sector that is still holding up well. Um, you've got strong home price appreciation appreciation and other really important metrics that, you know, and, and the stocks have gotten caused, uh, gotten caught up in this route of housing, uh, maybe, uh, maybe unduly. Yeah, no, and you, you highlight, look, Floor and Decor, Home Depot, Leslie's, Lowe's, um, even, you know, some of the other names that are more, uh, you know, exposed, Bath and Body Works, Williams-Sonoma, I mean, these are some places to perhaps look, look for some strength. As we ponder, though, what this future is going to hold, here's what uh, Howard Schultz just had to say about the difficulty that he's had in getting people uh, to come back into the office. We want to know the extent to which this is playing in with the themes you're discussing. He, here's what he told Andrew Ross Sorkin at DealBook DC yesterday. I have been unsuccessful despite everything I've tried to do to get our people back to work. You want them back. I mean, there's... You know, I there's want them back. I, I've, I've pleaded with them. I said, I get on my knees. I'll do push-ups, whatever you want. Come back. No, they are not coming back at the level I want them to. And, I, you know, we're a very collaborative, creative group. And uh, I realize that uh, I'm an old-school person, and this is a different generation, and I've been schooled by our people. Don't say too much. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we have to establish a new way of working. And, I'm, I, you know, I've embraced it. <laughs> so, Liz, uh, people are not afraid to tell Howard Schultz no, I guess, but how does that play into your findings? <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, it was interesting because one area where we saw a bit of a shift in this uh, this quarter survey was that when we asked whether uh, consumers prefer to work from home, um, you know, previously we had seen, uh, I think it was 92% had said yes in March. That, that fell to 60, 68% in June. So wow. we did see a bit of a, a shift in preference to come back to the office in this, uh, in this survey. Let's turn to some of the other segments here. When you say that they're pulling back on consumer discretionary, again, this is data from last week, so it captures the gas price impact. Where are people pulling back the most? Yeah, so, um, you know, in, in my coverage in hardline retail, we definitely saw this in furnishings. So that was, you know, a, a cat and furnishings and home goods, too. So, you know, we're actually more uh, more cautious on the names in that space being, um, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond, Williams-Sonoma uh, and Big Lots as well. So, you know, it, we've, we've started to see some of the evidence in uh, in their reported numbers. Williams-Sonoma is an exception where, you know, they've still sounded pretty good. But a lot of that backlog uh, in demand is really from prior orders. You know, I don't know if you've tried to order any furniture in the mm -hmm. in the recent past, but it takes quite a long time. So when those deliveries actually happen, that's when it gets captured in the sales. And so what we may be seeing in the strength is really orders that happened, you know, maybe even six months ago that haven't, you know, so we, we might not be capturing the full current demand picture when we're seeing earnings from these companies right now. So yeah. it could be it could be a sign of things to come in the future. And that you can't, you know, paint the whole sector with a broad brush, that there are parts that are going to underperform right. here. Uh, finally, the auto parts retailers, you think that as people do start peeling back to the office that they should see a benefit? That's right. Yeah. So not just auto parts retailers like Advance Auto Parts or O'Reilly, but the auto service providers as well. So, you know, Driven Brands, which is the largest um, the largest operator of, uh, of service franchises across the U.S. with brands like Meineke and Mako and Take Five. I mean, these are when people actually start getting back on the road and unfortunately start getting in accidents again as well. Like the, the service providers are going to have a pretty big benefit. Well, again, to have data this timely, uh, it's hard for everyone to figure out the landscape, so it helps when the consumer just tells us what their plans are. Liz, thanks for bringing that to us along with the stocks implied. We appreciate it. Thank you. Liz Suzuki with B of A. All right, still ahead, higher rates are definitely hitting fintech today. Coinbase, Block, PayPal, Affirm, all down more than 5%. Robinhood, the relative outperformer. Every name on this list is down at least 50% since January. Coinbase and Affirm down 80%. Plus, we went digging for the most profitable companies so far this year that are still in the green. We'll trade some of the names in everything from healthcare to energy to housing. And as we take, uh, as we head to break, I should say, here's a look at the Dow heat map with Goldman, Boeing, and Dow Inc. the worst performers. Walmart and Verizon, the only two components in the green right now. Stay with us. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. 
Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. We're coming a little bit off the lows, about 100 points or so, but it's still down across the board. The Nasdaq down almost 400. The Dow down for the 10th week in 11, which hasn't happened since the Great Depression. All 11 sectors are in the red today with consumer discretionary tech and financials, the worst performers. Discretionary is down 4%. Nine of the 11 groups are down more than 10% from their recent highs. Utility and energy are the positive exceptions. The semiconductors are getting slammed today with every name in the SMH down this week week, all but one on semi are negative for the month. Micron is the worst performer in June. It's down about 15%. Higher rates are hurting the home builders. KB Home down more than 5% today, trading around 31. What's working are the consumer staples, Hershey, Kellogg, Smucker, ConAgra, and Hormel, all up Hey, 1%. Let's get to Tyler Matheson for a CNBC News update. Tyler? Kelly, thank you very much, and good afternoon, everyone. And as outgunned Ukrainian forces try to hold on to a key city in eastern Ukraine, President Volodymyr Zelensky is stepping up his calls for more weapons from the West and rapid admittance to the European Union. Today, he says that would prove words about being Ukraine being a part of the European family are not just words. Jeffrey Rosen's lawyer tells NBC News the former acting attorney general will publicly testify next Wednesday in front of the January 6th Congressional Committee. He is expected to describe then-President Trump's post-election attempts to pressure the Justice Department into supporting his false claims of voter fraud. And in a post on his new social media platform, Trump says his daughter Ivanka had, in his words, checked out after the election and hadn't studied the results as closely as he did. At last night's <clears throat> excuse me, hearing, a clip from previous testimony was shown in which she said she accepted the determination the election had not been stolen. Tonight on the news, why builders are putting up, no, up, up new houses with no intention of selling them. That's at 7 Eastern. Kelly, back to you. Interesting. Tyler, thank you, and we'll see you soon. Ahead, as the Nasdaq sinks, one market strategist is diving right in, looking for bargains, including Meta and Alphabet. He'll make his case for those names ahead. And before we head to break, let's get some show and tell, where we show you a chart and tell the story. Shares of DocuSign are on pace for their worst day since December after they missed earnings estimates. Their net loss widened to $27 million versus $8 million a year ago. And while inflation is on every CEO's minds these days, CEO Dan Springer told TechCheck he's focused on the ripple effects from the pandemic as well. We believe that, yes, interest rates going up is going to be a challenge for uh, businesses like ours, where we have a lot of financial services, real estate people. There's going to be fewer mortgages, and there will be fewer demand for DocuSign in that space. But the, but the concept of the macroeconomics beyond that in terms of things like inflation, in terms of potential recession, we don't think that is as big of a challenge for DocuSign as what we're facing coming out of the pandemic, where, again, we had that giant pull forward of demand. Welcome back, everybody. Stocks are sliding for the third day in a row and on track for their worst week since January. In a search for opportunities, CNBC ran a screen looking for the 15 most profitable companies that have eked out gains for the year. Well, as of yesterday's close, at least. My next guest has three names she's buying and one she's avoiding from that list. Joining me now is Gina Sanchez. She's the chief market strategist at Lido Advisors and a CNBC contributor. And she is on set, which is so nice. <laughs> 
Welcome. Thank Great you. to have you here in person. All right. So your first buy is actually Berkshire Hathaway. Tell me why. So one of the things we're looking at to survive a lot of the volatility that we're experiencing and today is one of those days is quality. And Berkshire Hathaway is one of those stocks. It's not just value. It's also quality. It's dividends. It's got the components that we think investors need right now profits and it's been up this year. I think today with this 2.6% drop, it's now turned negative by 2% year to date. Still, a lot of people will take that. Berkshire is also a name that had been out of favor. Not that it had done that poorly, but it just wasn't ARK K, right? Kathy Wood was the new Warren Buffett. Does this name have staying power? Uh, Berkshire, absolutely. I mean, I think that if you look at the if you look at the holdings that it has, um, it is we're not. This isn't a one-time event we're going into right now. This is going to last for the next 12 to 18, possibly 24 months. And so, the demand for quality, the demand for cash flow, the demand for dividends—that's not going away anytime soon. All right. So Berkshire Hathaway is the first one that gets your vote for a buy today. The next one is Mr. Cooper. It's a stock we don't talk about often, but they're in the residential loan market. It's a smaller cap stock, about a three billion market cap, hanging on to gains for the year of less than one percent. Why do you like this one? So this is an interesting one because right now everybody's trying to figure out how to keep kind of their portfolio in order with rising interest rates. And obviously a mortgage dealer does not fall into that natural category. However, Mr. Cooper, most of their income right now is actually coming from mortgage servicing, which actually does quite well when when interest rates rise. So it's a natural hedge uh, against this interest rate rise. We actually had talked to the CEO about this. He was making this case and the market has kind of borne it out that this can be a place to hide. Don't some of the other mortgage stocks have servicing businesses that could help them? I mean, they don't seem to have gotten a lot of credit for it. They do. They're just simply not as large. Over 40 percent of the revenue stream of of the business book, the book of business for Mr. Cooper, is mortgage servicing. And over 71 percent of their income right now is coming from that space. So they're just simply more uh, amped to that you know, rate rate hike uh, hedging scenario. Even if the housing market gets worse, you think this one's okay? Well, you still have to keep servicing. I mean, th- that's the thing. Even if mortgages dry up, servicing doesn't stop. So, yeah, it's uh, servicing doesn't stop. The, the, the music don't stop on that front. <laughs> okay, so your final buy, so that was first Berkshire, then Mr. Cooper. Merck rounds things out. Uh, this one, it, the healthcare sector, it's been okay, but not great this year. But Merck is actually up about 13%, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, Merck has had some incredible hits. Obviously, their COVID, uh, their COVID treatment has been a huge hit. Um, their cancer drug, Keytruda, has been just a knockout, and that's been enormous. They're also sort of knocking the lights out with um, Gardasil, uh, the HPV vaccine. And the, this, again, is one of those recession-proof areas. The need for these drugs does not go away uh, with a recession. And so, again, Getting back to putting a portfolio together that's going to survive the volatility, something that can make it through the recession is important. Are there other names in healthcare that you would also like, or do you have to be pretty careful? You know, we, we do have other names, actually. We own AbbVie in, in, in Lido's portfolio as well, and that's a stock that we really like, and we've you know held that for, for all through COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are definitely, it's, a, it's an industry that's known for being somewhat recession-proof, um, but you also want somebody that's that's, you know, turning out some good pipeline drugs. Yeah, well, they have a track record, right? Mm -hmm. They can at least draw on that. All right, so those are your buys, all three of them, but here's one you want to bail on. It was a comeback story, up 11% this year, paying a dividend of more than 5%. 
our friend AT&T over here. Why not a buyer on this one? So we think that part of the boom that you're seeing right now in the stock price really is a little bit of financial engineering. The spinoff of, of WarnerMedia um, really goosed what, what they look like, but ultimately this is still a dying industry. Um, we think that the, this, the, the long term is stacked up against them. And so if you're doing well, you probably want to take some of those chips off the table. We spoke to an analyst on Power Lunch last week who was very bullish on all of these names, AT&T, mm. Verizon, T-Mobile actually making the argument that they are sort of recession resistant because this is a hard place to cut back on. You know, the, the, I agree with that story that people will basically like get rid of everything before they get rid of their phone. And and I, I agree with that. However, this industry is not charging anymore anytime soon. If anything, data rates, uh, phone minutes, rate, we, we don't even pay for the minute by the minute anymore. Everything is going down, meaning that the, the odds are stacked against them. Yes, people will hold on to their phone, but now you can get a Google phone for 20 bucks a month, right? So you do have to think about whether or not these, you know, these, these traditional uh, wire service providers are going to be able to survive. Yeah, and maybe that's where inflation becomes more of a, a foe than a friend. Not that it's a friend, but if you finally push people to the point at which they have to cut back, they might look at, like you said, the Google phone or mm -hmm. other options out there. Absolutely. 5% dividend yield or more in some cases. Are there other dividend names that you typically would feel excited buying at those levels, or is that a red flag for you? Well, right now we think it's a little bit of a red flag. I mean, we think, again, that there's some financial engineering going on. And quite frankly, if you look at the balance sheet of AT&T, that's really where the where the real red herring is. Right now they're carrying debt loads of, even after the spin out, of up to three times current EBITDA, right? And if you have to refinance that, that could be quite expensive for them. True, true. So in that, so with that in mind, I should say the impact of what we're seeing in the market today, spiking rates, mm -hmm. sinking stocks, where does that leave you just strategy-wise for the remainder of the year now? So, you know, we're looking at, we believe there's still another leg down to the market. And we think that that leg down comes with a series of, of very likely um, earnings revisions. So we have to see a round of earnings revisions. And so right now we look like the markets could be um, sustainable trading at 17, 16 times. I mean, that's a great price for average market stocks. Um, but we think after the revisions, it's going to go back up to 18 times. So we're going to have to have another leg down before we get to that sort of bottom where everything looks attractive again. Right. And we had a guest top of the hour who said she thought maybe we were kind of at the top of the range for the 10 year yield and that, you know, as we move throughout the cycle, that starts to move lower again. Mm -hmm. I, 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 that's a tough call to make right now. And I, I just wonder, <laughs> you know, for those who might have listened to that and said, I'm not so sure, what would your advice be? Well, you know, I think that everyone's looking at the Fed even harder right now because now Fed fund rates are having an overreaction, pricing in 75 basis points. Uh, that, that would be a shock to the market. And if anything, you know, what we believe is that the likelihood of a, of, of a policy mistake, the Fed going too far, that pushes us into recession, we think that's where it comes from. Right. And so there's still room if if you were to see that happen, you know, the yield curve at some point would invert. Right. Right. And do you think you have to have a view on whether the 10 years above or below 3 percent on stocks this year? Or are they just going to struggle to your point about earnings regardless? I think they're just going to struggle. I, I don't think that we can see, for example, the 10 year really get significantly higher. Um, if, in fact, we got to where the Fed funds futures are, are forecasting right now, we'd have a flat as a pancake curve. Everything would be 3 percent. Yeah. Front to back. True. Absolutely. Yeah. Not what you typically. Next time we need cappuccinos, I think. For I this. And maybe a better tone to the market. <laughs> but anyway, Gina, it's really great to have you here today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Gina Sanchez.
Still up next, it's been a rough go for the fintech names like Affirm, down 80% this year, today adding to that pain. We'll talk about the big moves and what's behind the drop next. But it's not all bad out there. Take a look at some of the names bucking the downtrend. We mentioned the staples earlier. How about some of the names that sell them? Kroger's, Walmart, CVS, grocery outlet up 4%. They're all in the green this afternoon. And President Biden is set to address inflation and the supply chain out at the Port of Los Angeles. This event should begin momentarily. We'll go there live when it does. We're back in a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. Today's red-hot inflation data slamming tech stocks. The tech-heavy Nasdaq on pace for its ninth week of losses in the past 10. That's its worst stretch since the dot-com era. My next guest isn't giving up hope. He says there's opportunity in the space with some fundamentally sound companies now trading at very attractive levels. Let's welcome in Quint Tatro. He is the founder and president of Jewel Financial. All right, Quint, let's get right to it. Do you stick with sort of safety in the big cap names, or where do you go here? Well, interestingly enough, Kelly, I think you can pretty much go anywhere if you're looking for depressed prices. But if you want peace of mind, if you want to know that what you're buying is high quality, I think you do need to look at sort of the large cap space or at least the, the, the names that err on that side. Uh, the difficulty is in this environment, right, is it's easy to just tuck tail and say, you know, get me out and I don't want anything to do with this. And, and this is the precise time when there are fundamentally attractive names that nobody wants to touch, names that just a few months ago, nobody could get enough of, right? They were bidding up at any price whatsoever, any valuation metric whatsoever. Now these names have come in to reasonable levels and nobody wants to touch them. For example, uh, let's take a look at Meta. Meta is probably our top choice in a long-term tech play. I mean, this is a company now trading 12 times forward earnings and despite some of the challenges that they've had, they're set to grow those earnings almost 20% next year. So that's pretty uh, decent valuation. What I like most about this company, no debt. So you're talking about a, a cash flow titan, no debt, and a reasonable valuation. The stock has come down considerably, obviously. So, you know, is it a timing thing? Are you going to pick the exact bottom? Probably not. But if you're willing to venture in and buy something like that down here, I think you're going to be rewarded over the next couple of years. Sure. And before we talk alphabet, one that's a little bit uh, more surprising, we might say, is is your choice of on semi. Why does that, you know, and the semis have been such a tough sector. A lot of people would probably just say, I don't want to go near this until we figure out inventories and demand and post pandemic. Why would you pick that one up right now? Yeah, because exactly what they said during their last call. So this is a company that is very dominant within the semiconductor space in the automobile environment. They have told us that they're starting to see the supply chain loosen considerably. So I believe that we're going to see uh, this demand for these chips increase, continue to increase. Uh, despite the waning consumer right now, I think with the environment that we're in, we still have a shortage of automobiles, particularly new automobiles. So look for this company to continue to deliver if they are, in fact, seeing the supply chain loosen up. This is another company with relatively attractive fundamentals, 13 times forward earnings, excellent balance sheet. And again, in a space that I think is ripe for a turnaround uh, that we're going to see here in the supply chain. All right. So you've made your case for Meta, made your case for OnSemi. What about Alphabet? Yeah, this is, this is probably the staple among the fallen fangs, I think, that 
you know, just is cheap. And, and if this is a company that like we believe is going to be here for a very, very long time, you don't often see a company trading at these valuations 12 times forward earnings, 18 times, 18% on the growth metric. And again, a Teflon balance sheet and, and literally just a myriad of, of companies. You're almost buying like a mutual fund when you own Google and, and Alphabet and all the, the, the outside bets that you're getting for this company. So yeah. very attractive company down here at these valuations. Going to break you off to get to the president, if you don't mind. Uh, appreciate your stock picks, <laughs> Quint Tatro, President Biden, speaking on inflation at the port of Los Angeles after that super searing hot CPI report this morning and consumer sentiment taking tanking, I should say, to an all-time low. Also in the report, perhaps most worrisome, especially to Federal Reserve officials, consumers' inflation expectations moved higher. That's what Fed officials fear could trigger a wage price spiral. That's why you've seen Barclays, Jefferies, to name at least two, move their expectations for the Fed next week to a 75 basis point rate hike, something our guest Michael Schumacher earlier this hour would be stunning to markets and that the markets were definitely not priced for or anticipating. Again, we're going to hear from the president shortly on the inflation problems. We've already had some headlines out of the White House uh, where there's President Biden saying oil and gas refining industries uh, should not make excessive profits or take price hikes right now. We've heard rhetoric like that before. Uh, the president earlier today in a statement also urging Congress to pass legislation to lower consumers energy and pharmaceutical costs. Uh, the president, remember, in that op-ed in the Wall Street Journal a uh, couple weeks ago, laid out his three-point plan for tackling inflation. The first, arguably most important plank, was letting the Federal Reserve be as hawkish as it needs to be in bringing prices lower. The second plank did include a measure, a variety of measures to aimed at particular industries. And the third plank was lowering the deficit through raising taxes. Uh, we all know the supply chain has been one source of consistent price pressures and bottlenecks and shortages. Uh, the president may give us an update at the Port of Los Angeles that has been one of the most affected by the huge backlog of ships that has been lessening and perhaps will help at least goods inflation come down even while it accelerates in other areas. The Dow down 708 points, the S&P down 97, the Nasdaq down 357. We're only about 150 points off session lows for the Dow. All this as interest rates are slightly off their highs, 3.13% for the 10-year Treasury. Two-year, as we just briefly showed a moment ago, is at the highest level since 2008 as it has to rapidly reprice what the Fed is likely to do at its meeting in September. As we await for the president himself, we turn out to California, where Kate Rooney joins us with a brief update on the payment stocks. Kate? Hey, Kelly, that's right. FinTech has been among the hardest hit of those tech stocks today. And the group's had a pretty tough year so far. The pain today really started this morning after that inflation print and a spike in the 10-year. Take a look at shares of Affirm, the buy now, pay later company, one of the biggest laggards for the week. Look at that chart for the week. It's down. This is the daily chart here. It's down more than 4% today. For the week, it's down 20% after Apple announced a new buy now, pay later product. You've also got PayPal and Block down deeply in the red today. Looks like Block is the laggard there of the group, down more than 7%. Robinhood is actually a relative outperformer today. Not week to date, though. Still down double digits since Monday. Kathy Wood's ARK FinTech ETF also really paints the picture here. It's down more than 6% today. 
along with some of the other high-growth ARK funds uh, down just about 6%. Then check out some of the crypto-related stocks as well. Coinbase seen some of the deepest losses of that group. It comes as Bitcoin dipped below $30,000 this morning. The world's largest cryptocurrency is still very much tightly correlated with those high-growth tech names. Not getting any sort of decoupling, at least today. You've also got MicroStrategy. That's another crypto proxy trading in sympathy with Bitcoin lower today as well. And the Bitcoin mining stocks. You've got Riot, Marathon Digital, Hut8. They have been relative outperformers in the crypto space this morning. But throughout the day, they're dropping significantly here and have been outperforming Bitcoin, uh, excuse me, underperforming Bitcoin this week and for the year. Finally, the credit card and payment networks not spared today either. Inflation and recession risks could hit those companies and the consumer, but it might be a slight boost in the near term. Wolf Research estimates that every 1% of incremental inflation would drive a 0.5% increase in net revenue at Visa and MasterCard specifically. Kelly, back to you. And Kate, they've had a lot to grapple with this week. I mean, we've also seen the SEC chair talking about, you know, major changes in market structure. Would that undermine the business of Robinhood and the others? It's interesting. We saw Robinhood really take a hit after that was announced. I think the expectation now that that's setting in is that this could take years to go through. Yep. Kate, (laughs) thank you. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.